You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. The views and opinions expressed by Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is, to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Good evening to you each and all, and I hope that you can hear the sound of my voice. Oh my, oh my, oh my. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. Well, my dears and my darlings, pick up the phone, get on the Facebook, call your mother, your father, your uncle, your aunt, your grandpa, your grandmother. Ma, your sister, your brother, and all the kids, because by God, I got on the air. Oh, yes. Blog Talk tried to stop us. Deadlines, no connection, but I got in. I apologize for the sound quality. During the show, I will do my best to speak in a modulated manner so that there will not be an interruption to the quality of your listening, but we made it, baby, we made it with scant minutes to speak. 
despair, we made it. So I hope that you are all here with me. There was a lot I was going to talk about, but we lost some of our time. So we're going to try to take care of it as best as we can. Before we get into the show tonight, I want to take a few moments to once again discuss the Kim Davis situation. Now, I know you're probably all sick and tired of hearing about it, but I have something to say. This week, Mike Huckabee, that hack, said that, get this, the Dred Scott ruling, the Dred Scott ruling from way back that said, if you're not familiar with it, that African Americans were not in fact citizens, that they had no rights, is still on the books, but we just choose, we just choose to not obey it. As an example of why Kim Davis is perfectly all right to just ignore Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage. Well, Mr. Huckabee. I know you'll never listen to the Now You Know show, and quite frankly, I consider it a blessing. Let me tell you something, sir. The 14th Amendment did away with the Dred Scott ruling. It is not the law of the land, and you are absolutely wrong. And I am sorry, sir, but you are a clown and you are outrageous, and that you would dare say such a thing in the current political climate that we have, with what is ongoing in this nation against our African-American citizens, sir, marks you not only as a demagogue and a firebrand, but also as an idiot. So that's all I had to say. That's from the professor. By the way, temperatures cooled down here. Sorry, the rest of it heated up for the rest of y'all, but we're finally starting to feel the relief. What that means in Texas is that it wasn't 100 this week. Well, <clears throat> our own Phil Patchy Fogg is not with us still this week. He was in uh, Omaha uh, last week, and this week he is in Lansing. That's right, he is in Lansing, Michigan, continuing to follow up on that big breadcrumb additive ground meat scandal. And unfortunately, uh, I must report to you this week that our own Phil Patchy Fogg is currently being detained. He is currently being detained by police in the nearby town of Thunder Bay, it's Thunder Bay, Michigan. And uh, there is some collusion going on there. We believe they have done this on behalf of certain meatpacking industrialists uh, who have concerns there, and we have immediately activated the LMC Defense Fund to try to get our own Phil Patchy Fog out of the out of uh, detain out of out of detention there in Thunder Bay, Thunder Bay, Michigan. 
So hopefully we'll be hearing from him next week, we hope. We're going to try to actually get a live setup with him if he's still in Michigan. He's just been on the moon. He's been following us like a bloodhound. But speaking of the news, let's go over right now to the LMC Radio Newsroom. And tonight, your friend and mine from the first, the Quimby First and Second Baptist Church, our own Miss Loretta Evans. Hello. Today is Thursday, September 10th, the 253rd day of the year. There are only 13 days left until autumn begins. Isn't that nice? And 112 days left in the year. Oh my, I don't know how I'm going to get all my shopping done. Today is an auspicious day to prune, to discourage growth, and tomorrow... It's an auspicious day to end projects and have dental care done. You know, you just can't take enough care of your teeth. Today's highlight in history comes to us from 1955, when the Western series Gunsmoke, starring James Arnez as Marshal Matt Dillon, began a 20-season run on CBS television. I just loved him, and he was so spooky as the monster in The Thing from Another World. On this date, in 1846, Elias Howe received a patent for his sewing machine. In 1919, New York City welcomed home General John J. Pershing and 225,000 soldiers who'd served in the U.S. First Division during World War I. Bless their hearts. In 1935, Senator Huey P. Long died in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, two days after being shot in the Louisiana State Capitol, allegedly by Dr. Carl Weiss. In 1945, Vidkun Quisling, oh, he was a terrible man, was sentenced to death in Norway for collaborating with the Nazis. In 1963, 20 black students entered Alabama public schools following a standoff between federal authorities and Governor George C. Wallace. He was terrible. He reminds me of this Kim Davis lady. In 1979, four Puerto Rican nationalists imprisoned for a 1954 attack on the U.S. House of Representatives and a 1950 attempt on the life of President Harry S. Truman were freed from prison after being granted clemency by President Jimmy Carter. And finally, in 1991, the Senate Judiciary Committee opened hearings on the nomination of Clarence Thomas to the U.S. Supreme Court. LMC birthday wishes go out today to World Golf Hall of Famer Arnold Palmer, who is 86, actor Philip Baker Hall, 84, jazz vibraphonist Roy Aders, 75, he's wonderful, singer Danny Hutton of Three Dog Night, 73, he's a favorite of Professor Porterfield's here, singer Jose Feliciano, 70, actress Judy Geeson, 67. 
rock musician Joe Perry of Aerosmith is 65, actress Amy Irving, 62, country singer Rosie Flores, 59, actress Kate Burton, 58, movie director Chris Columbus, 57, actor Colin Fist, 55, and rapper Big Daddy Kane is 47. We'll bless his heart. Our thought from today comes from the Talmud, the and it is, if there is no knowledge, there is no understanding. And if no understanding, there is no knowledge. Oh, that's nice. This has been the news from the LMC Radio Newsroom, read by Miss Loretta Evans. And we now send you over to Professor Porterfield and the lucky numbers. Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition, or even make me suspicious. Table with thirteen dishes, it will make me That's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, open it. Put my trunk in group for dust. Cause you know some may bring you a devil. Or maybe a lucky 11. Oh, that you be in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, and you need not. Just put your trust in goofer dust like the Nicholas Brothers. Oh, no, 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 no. Because we have the lucky numbers for you here each and every week, along with the card of the week. This week's lucky numbers come from ProfessorPorterfield.com, and they are 9, 11, 18, 32, 47, and 49. Once again, those numbers are 9, 11, 18, 32, 47, and 49. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are 246. That's 246. And I kid you not, 777. That's right, 777, and that is a particularly good number, my friends. And finally, 819. That's 819. So, now, the card of the week is the Nine of Hearts. The Nine of Hearts symbolizes a wedding, joyful unions, marriage, indulgence, and pampering yourself. This is a joyful week coming on the horizon, full of peace, love, and happy beginnings. This is a week to engage in a little personal pampering and perhaps a few indulgences, but have a care not to fall into hedonism. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with numbers and cards when they first come out and if you hit remember where you get till then good luck to you all up next the professor's pontification this week we'll be talking about walking the line or how many times can professor porterfield say demimond
demi-monde in a pontification. I bet you a lot. Before, on a previous episode, I talked about the rather strange attraction some folks have to the phrase, a magical lifestyle, and how they seem to disorder their lives or to make themselves quite strange and unique so that they can participate in or live a magical lifestyle. And they end up, you know, having to move into some very spooky-looking house with lots of black decor and uh, cobwebs, and they have to wear strange clothing, and they have to do everything very, 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 very strangely. And they lose touch with regular people, with regular concerns, and a regular life because of their need to participate in this magical lifestyle. But as you well know, here on the Now You Know show, we, or should I say I, since I don't have a frog in my pocket, attempt to discuss matters on as level field as we can, to see it from both sides, to talk about the good and the bad. And because of that, as you well know, we do the secrets of scriptural sorcery and we talk about the importance of the Bible and of the scriptures in hoodoo, but we also call out uh, a lot of the, pardon the term, sins of the modern Protestant church in America as well. And so we've already called out the sins of the magical lifestyle fetishists, which can often lead, as we discussed last week, to the whole troublesome creature that is hoodoo cosplay. But tonight, we're going to talk about the other side of it. Tonight, we're going to talk about the fact that those who are magical practitioners, who are spiritual workers, do step somewhat out of their regular life. That's why it's so important that you retain connection to a regular life. You see, you have to work for regular people with regular problems in the regular world. So, because of that, you need to have good grounding. You need to be able to relate. Because you are stepping away from it. That's just the truth. When you become a spiritual worker, a magical worker, a magical practitioner, a person who engages in hoodoo, conjure, root work, you are stepping out of the day-to-day regular set of affairs. You're talking to spirits and dead people. You're reading people's fortunes. You're peering into their past. You're using materia magic to and other techniques to make a change in nature in alignment with will. You are no longer 
just regular old Joe, plumber, bricklayer, electrician, whoever. You are dealing with matters that, let's say, 90% of the population never deals with, or deals with solely through an intercessory. Because of this, you must understand that you have entered into the world of the night, the world of the other side, the out-of-step, the not-in-line group. You have entered into the demimond. That's one. The thing about this is that the demimond is a very large group of people. It is not merely the magical practitioner. Now, originally, the demimond meant to refer to a group of people who lived hedonistic lifestyles, usually uh, in a very flagrant and obvious way. It is also meant to mean those who are merely pleasure-seeking, as opposed to those who are hard-working. But it also means a person who acts in a contrary manner to more traditional or bourgeois values. Now, this can include drinking, drug use, gambling, high spending, sexual promiscuity, but it also has a connotation of meaning those who engage in the arts. So those of the theater, painters, sculptors, poets, authors, actresses, actors, all of that belongs in this realm. As so, too, does the prostitute, the pimp. And I am here to tell you that, at least in my opinion, so too does the magical or spiritual practitioner belong here as well. In so much as those who are not necessarily also a member of a priest class. I am not necessarily suggesting that those who serve as clergy for their communities are within the demimonde. But, that's three, but certainly the magical practitioner, the hoodooist, to some extent, is in this world. And it's not a bad place to be, because this is where unconventional ideas happen. This is where, again, the actor and the actress, the playwright, the author, the painter, all of these people are. All of these people are right here in that world. That world just off the line. That world just over there. They stand in a somewhat separate light. And certainly it is important, therefore, when that is acknowledged, that we come back to this idea that you must 
keep a foot rooted in the regular world. Why? Well, we've already talked about it a little bit. A, so that you can relate. B, so that you don't start engaging in this very common elitism that I see every week. I see it every week. I see it on social media. I see it in essays. I see it in things people have put up here, there, wherever. I see it in books. I see it in popular culture. This whole thing about we the arcane versus they the mundane. Oh, they wouldn't understand it. They're mundane. They're graybeards. They're muggles. The list of names goes on and on and on. That might feel good to have your little elitist moment and say, ah, I'm so separate and so beautiful. I'm off here in my separate light. I can speak to spirits. I go into the graveyard. I deal over here with the arcane and all of those people down there, over down there in the dirt and the mire with their dirty fingernails, fixing plumbing and whatnot. Oh, they don't understand. That might feel great, but it does no good. It does no good. First of all, now you're completely separated from anyone that you're ever going to help because, well, they're mundane. They're a graybeard. They're a muggle. They're down there. So how the hell can you help them? Second of all, oh, Lord, nothing destroys like ego. <clears throat> ego, ego, ego. That killer. That monster. Am I saying we should all live egoless lives, sitting crossed legs, under under beautiful Asiatic trees, contemplating our navels? I'm not saying that. Nor am I saying you shouldn't do that if you want to do that. What I'm saying is that there's an old expression. Give a man some money. Watch him act funny. Okay? Give a man a little ego. Watch him go nuts. Give him a little that. Again, I'm not talking about a sense of self-worth either. I'm talking about a sense of superiority, of elitism. Now, like anything, elitism has its proper place and its proper usage. And we might discuss that on a later show. But right now, what I'm saying to you is that when you separate yourself from the, quote, unwashed mass, the hoi polloi, when you get away from everybody else, then you're by yourself, really, at the end of the day. So it is important to understand that you are walking a separate path. Another reason this is important is because of language. What do I mean by language? I mean that when you forget that everyone else isn't walking along in this little world of the night with you, that they're not over here crossing or straddling the line with you, when you forget that they're not a part of the demimonde along with you, then you start becoming jingoistic. You start using 
words and phrases which are completely known to you and to your fellows and to your colleagues that aren't known to the people that you're working with, that you're dealing with, that you're working for. You need to be able to not only understand their lives and their concerns, you have to be able to speak in their language. By that, do I mean that I'm saying you should adopt some sort of fraudulent language or some sort of affectation? No. Again, that goes back to hoodoo cosplay. I'm saying that if you have a client, and that client is a, oh, let's say, 45-year-old mother of three. She's got a kid in high school. She's got two in elementary. And she's calling you because she needs some help with her situation with her husband. And you start going off on her with highly technical terminology of, let's say, astrology. That's just one example. All right. You're losing her. You have to be able to put things into terminology that she understands, unless she's already come to you and you've understood that she has a highly functioning understanding of astrology. If you start talking to her about things that don't relate to her life, then it's of no use to her. It is my great honor and privilege to be the general manager of the LMC radio network. And there are just fantastic shows in our network. And I want to stop for a minute here and talk about one of those shows as an example of what I was just discussing. Perhaps, if not, in fact, the longest-running show on Hoodoo and Conjure in the universe, the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, with Miss Catherine Ironwood and as her co-host in this part of time, Conjure Man Ali, there have been others. Why is this such a valuable show? Well, it's a valuable show because it does a number of great things, but what I want to talk about specifically is what we were just discussing. When people call in to the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour to get advice, to have readings done for them, and to be given root work solutions, magical remediation to their problems, Miss Cat makes a point, and go and listen to the show. You'll hear it. Makes a point of finding out from this person certain general kinds of things. Where they're from, generally. What their age is, generally. What their nationality is, generally. And again, what their spiritual doctrine is, generally. Meaning... Miss Cat does not go to little old ladies who are Southern Baptists from Tupelo, Mississippi, and start telling them about how they need to do all this saint work that they've never even encountered. All right? Miss Cat will alter whether she says, 
Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, depending on who she's talking to. Because you cannot help people by throwing a bunch of stuff at them that they have no relationship to, no matter how good it might be. There might be a fantastic, fantastic piece of Inuit ceremonial magic that you might have, but it's not going to be much good for a guy living in Idaho who has no relationship to Inuits. He's not Inuit himself, etc. You see, part of successfully living in the demimonde, and that's a, and there it was again, and that's what we're talking about here. Successful, successful life in the demimonde is to understand that you are in the demimonde. That you are a part. To not become elitist about it, to not become arrogant about it, to not become disconnected because of it, and to remember how to relate to others who are not. And then to figure out how to relate to others that are. Because just because someone else is there with you, does not that they're doing what you're doing. Bridges have to be made. Now I'm going to say something that might piss some people off. Oh well. Get ready. It's been a while. Haven't done it for a while. Here it is. I'm going to snatch some wigs and burn some hats. Got my box of matches. I'm ready. Part of the problem that we in the hoodoo, conjure, and root work community have experienced in our relationships and our interactions with people coming to, to us, to us, from the pagan and neo-pagan community, is that they are unwilling to build bridges. They want us to build the bridge. Well, hey, son of a bitch, you came to me. I didn't come to you. B, they don't want a bridge. They want a loading truck. Yeah, just back it up in there. Put everything in there. Put all your stuff in there. I'm going to drive away with it. Come on, come on. Come on, you simple country rubes. Come on, get your fancy folk magic in there. I'm going to go make some money off this. Bye-bye. And they're not willing to even think about creating a shared lexicon, they certainly are not willing to use our lexicon. What they are willing to do is to translate into their dictionary. Except it loses things. They're willing to translate tradition. Oh, well, we don't harm anyone. So, since we're not, I'm just going to, cross through this thing right here. I'm just going to just going to take a pen and just write right through that. I don't we're not comfortable going we're not comfortable using graveyard. We're going to cross right through the graveyard dirt. Uh-uh. No, sir. Well, I like crystals and I like gemstones, so we're just going to add those in. Now, does I mean everybody involved in paganism? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. Do I mean everyone involved in neo-paganism? Of course not. Don't be ridiculous. 
I am talking about a generalized situation. Now, what is that got to do with hoodoo? Hey, kid, I'll tell you what's got to do this here. I'll tell you what it's got to do with hoodoo. What it's got to do with hoodoo and what it's got to do with the tonight's topic about the demimond is this. They're walking in the demimond. We're walking in the demimond. I think that's ten. But there's a lack of communication. There's the same failure. Understand to be able to relate that people have with the situation of elitism. It's the exact same. And in fact, since I'm snatching wigs, and I'm gonna burn some hats on this one, I'm gonna go a step further. I'm gonna really say something to put a burr under someone's saddle. It is my belief that often the failure of interrelationship or the failure to co-operate or the failure to understand each other in the hoodoo pagan diagram comes from a place of elitism on behalf of pagans and neo-pagans. I honestly believe that. I've seen it. Do I believe that is always the situation? No. But I believe that is true. It comes from a position of elitism. I will say that some of the interactions that I have had and that I have seen between the ceremonial magical community the, quote, high sorceress community and hoodoo has the same nasty tinge of elitism as well. And since we're going down this path, let's go all the way down to the last stone on the road. It is my belief that that elitism that is offered Two practitioners of hoodoo, conjure, and root work. From some neo-pagans, from some pagans, from some ceremonial magicians, is rooted in... Y'all knew I was going to say it, right? But there it is. Is rooted, at least subconsciously, at least in an ingrained and societal way, in an elitism of racism. I'm sorry, I believe that. You can you know you can write me an essay and tell me why I'm wrong, and I'll I'll read it. Hell, I might read it on the air. But that is my belief. You know, it is just something people quote those people are doing. So here we have a failure of individuals who are all living on the fringe to accept each other because of much older ills. But let's not drift too far away. Let's come back to this idea of walking the line. 
why is the spiritual worker on the fringe of society? Well, the spiritual worker is on the fringe of society for a number of reasons. One, there is some necessity. Two, there is a certain amount of, mm, let us say, societal steam valve. What do you mean, societal steam valve? What I mean is, often in society and cultures, you see that there are release valves, that there are exception doorways, that there are places and people individuals can go to when in need that are outside of the normal power structure the police, the law, the priest, etc. And certainly we see this in certain Aboriginal cultures, certainly we see this in certain witchcraft traditions, and certainly we see this in hoodoo. Obviously there is a certain amount of spiritual psychopomp, if you will, that you must take the trip and go to find the individual and they are out wherever they're not easy to get to, they're not cheap, they're not whatever, and that you must undergo certain rigors. So that also is a part of this. So what I am saying to you in the end is this. Just as I have said to you before, you cannot drift too far out and live a soul magical lifestyle with no connection to the real world anymore. Particularly, particularly if you want to be a practitioner of hoodoo and conjure, which is so deeply rooted in the here, the now, the real, the regular, everyday, unfortunately common troubles of the human experience, so too you have to understand how far and where you do stand outside of the line so that you can better serve yourself, your fellows and colleagues, your community, and your clients. Because if you're not careful, if you just wander off, into the woods and are never heard from again, as it were, or if you become so laden down with magico jingoism that no one can understand you, then all you've helped do is, well, put more armament into the bags of all those who regard everything that we do and everything that we believe as so much superstition.
That was, of course, Stevie Wonder with Superstition. And our second Name It and Claim It of the evening goes to someone who knows very well about the Demi-Monde, our own Gabriel Swain. Congratulations. And you know, in his own way, Stevie, talking about Superstition, was doing what we're trying to do here, which is just send out a signal. What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air! The LMC Radio Network, broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. It's the LMC Radio Network in the Vanguard! LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour, hosted by Catherine Ironwood and Conjure Manali, Sunday, 3 to 4.30, Candela's Corner, starring Candela Cambisa, Monday, 5 to 7, the Crystal Silence League Hour, hosted by John St. Germain, Tuesday, 5 to 6, In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesday, 6 to 7, Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Wednesday, 5 to 7, The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursday, 6 to 7.30, and On Sacred Ground with Kai Armand. Saturdays, noon to 3. All time specific at 3 hours for Eastern. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. And online at LuckyMojo.com. Thank you, Troll Chow Towelhead, Chief Engineer here at the LMC Radio Network for that update each and every week of our fantastic shows. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a word from our sponsor. Oh, hello, children! This is Count Goulash here to talk to you about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Coffee Road, Forestville, California. Oh, it's scary! Did you know that Lucky Mojo is both an online magical shop and a real magical store that you can visit? They carry a full line of handmade spiritual supplies, including occult oils, incense, powders, candles, herbs, mojo bags, spiritual soaps, books, and spell kits! <laughs> For those who cast magical spells, love spells, money spells, and protection spells in the African-American hoodoo, pagan magic, and other witchcraft traditions. That's right. Who? Why, it's the Rocky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. Why not stop on by and give them a visit? You can take the kiddies and they can see the amazing transit as it goes around. And around, and around, and around, luring you deeper and deeper into hypnotic sleep until you have no will but the will of Count Goulash. Or then, go over to the world's smallest church. Yes, that's right, the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, and take a few 
moments of quiet meditation and prayer before going into the store and browsing the aisles full of thousands of magical goods from all around the world. That's right, the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Cavi Road, Forestville, California. But if you can't get there in person, don't fear, because you can go there online. That's right. I'm talking about www.luckymojo.com and sit in the quiet darkness of your own home next to the bust of palace as you go over the page after page after page of magical goods shown to you only at www.luckymojo.com. <laughs> So once again, that's the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California, and online at www.luckymojo.com. Tell them Count Coolash sent you. Thank you, Count Goulash. That's, of course, Count Goulash. He's here. We've, we hired him on, folks telling you a few words about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company. Up next, a little segment I like to call... That's right, the Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery. Tonight, we're going to be talking about... Hell. Yeah. 
Oh, yes, that was... Well, let me just start a different way. Third verse, same as the first. Our name it and claim it winner on that one is again our Mr. Fast Fingers of 2015, the one, the only, the incredible Papa Newt, who correctly identified that as the Squirrel Nut Zippers with their rendition of Hell. And that leads us into tonight's Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery. We're going to be talking about Hell. Now, Hell, in many mythological and religious traditions, is a place of torment and punishment, and it is viewed generally by most Abrahamic traditions as a place of punishment. It must be understood, of course, that uh, Judaism had no concept of hell originally, though the concept of an afterlife was introduced during the Hellenic period, probably from neighboring Hellenistic religions. Judaism comes originally closest to the concept of hell when it speaks of Gehenna, although Gehenna is not hell, but originally a grave. And in later times, it was a kind of uh, shadow or place of uh, purgatory, if you wish to think of it that way, where one became fully aware of one's own shortcomings and negative actions during one's life. Uh, but after a period of time in this uh, uh, entryway, this place in which all souls, not wicked, entered, one came to terms with all of this. Uh, again, it was generally believed that through rabbinic sources that one, no one stayed there longer than 12 months, uh, and that afterwards one did ascend to Alam Haba, which is the world to come, often viewed as being heaven. However, you must remember that has no agreed-upon afterlife. And so you will feel or see a different uh, interpretation of the afterlife and all of its components from oh, stream to stream to stream in Judaism. Hell itself, as it is conceived of uh, in the modern Christian American, primarily Protestant world, really begins to flower in the New Testament, where hell is typically described using the Greek words Tartarus or Hades, or on occasion, again, the Hebrew word Gehenna. Hades has similarities to the Old Testament term Sheol, which is the place of the dead or the grave. Uh, thus, it is used in reference to both the righteous and the wicked, since all eventually end up there. And it must be said that Gehenna originally refers to the Valley of Hinnom, which was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It was a place where people burned their garbage, and thus there was always uh, fires burning there. And uh, bodies of those deemed to have died in sin without hope of salvation, such as those who committed suicide, were often thrown there to be destroyed. Gehenna is used in the New Testament, therefore, as a metaphor for the final place of punishment for the wicked after the resurrection. Tartaro, from the verb to throw to Tartarus, occurs only once in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 2.4, where it is parallel to the use of the noun form 
from uh, Enoch, which is a, a place of incarceration of fallen angels. It mentions nothing about human souls being sent there. However, the Roman Catholic Church defines hell as a state of definitive self-exclusion from the communion with God and the blessed. And one finds themselves in hell as a result of dying in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love, becoming eternally separated from God by one's own choice. This then changes as we go on into the Protestant conception of hell, and then finally into what we see of hell now in the evangelical movement, that being a fiery realm of eternal damnation, often with a centric lake of fire into which all those who have sinned by not accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are eventually sent, regardless of other actions. Let me look around here. Is the door locked? Oh, cool. The kid's not in here. So the point of this is that at this point, normally the kid would jump in here, but I guess he went out to get a soda or something. Anyway, you know the kid. He would jump in here and he would say, what does God do with hoodoo? Well, what it has to do with hoodoo is this. We have talked about various parts of Scripture and the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, various figures in both in these shows. And hell also has a use as well in hoodoo. Because you must understand that the approach that I've been trying to lead you to understand about the use of scripture in hoodoo is that nothing in hoodoo is... Mm, how do I want to put this? When it comes to scriptures, nothing's forbidden. It's not it's not a sort of a separatist attitude that people have. There's the good and here's the bad. Here's you know, because we've talked about being able to use Jezebel as an example. And Jezebel certainly is not considered in the Bible this exemplary wonderful figure. So hell too is used, and it is often used first as a form of curse for lack of a better term, in the sense that one is commanding someone else to go to hell. We think of that in a number of different ways. Obviously, it's taken on a certain colloquial meaning. Ah, go to hell. Why don't you just go to hell? But here, we're also talking about it in a direct command. Go to hell, you know. You will go to hell. I send you to hell. Get the hell out of here. All right? And we often see this in certain work in hoodoo. I would also like to add that a lot of that work that has those kinds of commands, you will find often done on the back of the toilet. Certainly, you will see them done with black candles over white. Certainly, you will see it done with red pepper over salt. So, we have this idea here that you can command someone to go to hell. Now, it's both meant in that colloquial sense that we're fed up with them, we want them gone, and so therefore it has a component 
in oh hot footing or similar type actions but also it has a direct meaning we are literally saying to hell take yourself to hell be damned and go to hell and therefore it has a connotation here that we are also ending obviously someone cannot go to hell if they are alive so you will see this also used in conjunction with certain very dire curse work, certain very serious death work. So we have to look at it first there. Now, then there is some confusion that goes on. Because you have to remember that hoodoo is adaptive and has components in it from many other cultures that it came into contact with. When we talk about hell banknotes or hell money, we are not talking about Protestant hell in the least. And the two shouldn't be confused. And in fact, you wouldn't really be using uh, hell banknotes as an example to send someone to hell. Unless, of course, I guess you wanted them to be able to purchase cell phones and have nice things while they were there. So that also is something that comes up. Then also we have that very, very famous word or phrase that has hell in it that you hear about with uh, hoodoo, which is hellhound. And, you know, he had a hellhound on his trail. He met a hellhound at the crossroads. A hellhound was put on him. And hellhounds are seen in a variety of different lights. In fact, if you were to go to three different hoodoo conjure root workers and ask them about hellhounds, you'd probably get five different answers. But, you know, someone's going to say, oh, it's this uh, parasitic-like dangerous spirit. Uh, someone else is going to say, oh, it's it's this, this uh, servantary spirit that, that you can put on people, etc., etc., etc. But what we can say is this. A hellhound is a supernatural dog in folklore. It has a wide variety of ominous and hellish origins, but supernatural dogs occur in mythologies around the world, similar to the way you might say that we see dragons in many different cultures. Featured on the hellhound are normally a set of attributes. Uh, mangled black fur, glowing red eyes, uh, unusual or supernatural strength or speed, a ghostly or uh, phantom-like characteristics, and as well as a foul odor, often explained in the Americas as being brimstone, sulfur. But really, when we talk about the hellhound, we are not talking about an African retention in 
hoodoo. Here we are talking about a European influence in hoodoo. And we know that hoodoo has influences from European magic, Jewish magic, Native American folklore and magic, etc. And we see this black dog, the black shuck, old shuck, etc. in Europe, primarily in England, around Norfolk, Essex, and Suffolk. And they are big and shaggy, etc. However, the interesting component in hoodoo about the hellhound is that in hoodoo, it has a similarity to certain European characteristics related to certain kinds of bound spirits or spirits that chase after or are tied to or haunt or pursue individuals. And we see that in Ireland with things like a banshee and others. So here in America, the hellhound, the black dog, is a pursuer, an unrelenting pursuer, that it is thought will, when it catches you, drag you back to where? Well, it's not a heaven hound, is it? It will drag you back to hell. So hell has this influence in hoodoo, just like every other part of Scripture does. And just as heaven may be used as a part of a blessing. And as we've talked about in the show before, about how the Garden of Eden can be used as a part of a blessing or helpful nature to individuals, so too then we see hell being used as a component of curse work and death work, as well as the calling up of the spirits of some of the dead out of the use of the graveyard dirt of sinners, of murderers, etc. And so I encourage you this week to go out, your homework for this week is to go out and start reading up a little bit about hell. You will find that this concept of an afterworld place of punishment and or imprisonment or damnation is cross-cultural, but I also hope that you will specifically look at it in the Protestant sense and how it uh, did, was used and occurred in the black Protestant American church. And there are quite a number of excellent sermons that you can find not only on YouTube, but also on the Lucky Mojo site as well. And I hope that you'll look into it and go through it and see what you can find. It is unfortunate that it has been used as such a stick, such a, either you agree with me or you go to hell. Everyone who disagrees with me goes to hell. Either you do what I say or you go to hell. Hell, 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 fire and brimstone, that people now are so put off by it that some will not even go to research it, its history in antiquity and how it is used in hoodoo. But I hope that you'll overcome those little things and take a look at it. Up next, we're going to go into the kitchen, where we're going to be talking about asafateda. That's right, devil's dung. You don't have to be the devil to know about it. <laughs> 
smell. And it has an intense, intense odor to it. It is used as an old preventative, excuse me, against sickness in the European magical tradition. In India, it is thought to stimulate the brain. And in hoodoo, it is used to repel evil and to harm enemies. However, it also belongs in the kitchen, and you can cook with it. And although it has a terrible smell, once cooked, it takes on a very pleasant taste. Somewhat similar to uh, onions and garlic mixed together, but not uh, like a shallot. Not at all. Uh, I must tell you that when you work with devil's dung, you really need to be pre prepared to clean your hands. And you're going to want to clean your hands with something pretty strong, like Florida water. Now, what does it have to do with hoodoo, would say the kid. Well, how can we use devil's dung in hoodoo? I will give you a number of ways you can use devil's dung. You can use it to prevent disease as well as keep off the law. Wear devil's dung in a bag around the neck to ward off colds, flu, and contagious diseases. And worn at the waist, it is said to keep off the police. You can use it to stop someone from bothering you. Well, quite frankly, you could just probably hold it out, and if someone was bothering you, they'd probably leave you alone. But if you burn devil's dung on charcoal, and God help you, and call the person's name, and command him to leave you alone in the name of the devil, they will do so. This would be another example of how you could use that hell-like command that we talked about earlier. Do you want me to do Vincent Price? Well, it's something like a shallot that you would cook with a pork chop, and then crunchy peanut butter served with a beautiful pignon noir. You can also use it to get revenge on an enemy. To do this, you combine devil's dung with salt, black cat oil, and crossing incense. Now, once again, you're going to combine devil's dung with salt, black cat oil, and crossing incense, and burn that on charcoal, calling on evil spirits to help you. Some people substitute boric acid water for the incense and sprinkle the mix about their enemies' cars or at their places of business or in their foot tracks to get even or cause them to lose their jobs. You can also use devil's dung to reverse a trick. By combining devil's dung, vandal root, a black hen feathers, and black arts powder in a bottle, add a hair which, I'm sorry folks, I just had everything kind of move on me here. Let's start this over. To remove a trick, you combine devil's dung, vandal root, black hen feathers, and black arts powder in a bottle. Add a hair of the witch to make it strong, but lacking that, at least add the witch's name on paper. Now what do we mean by that? We mean the person who has sent the trick on you. Dress a black candle with black arts oil and light it upside down. Urinate into the bottle while cursing the witch or the practitioner who has sent the trick on to you by name. Cap the bottle and seal it with wax from the candle. 
and throw it into the witch's yard or bury it where the individual will walk over it. And then finally, you can use devil's dung to jinx an enemy. Take a coffin nail and carve your enemy's name on a black devil candle. Dress it with black arts oil, roll it in devil's dung, and burn it on the night of the full moon. While it is burning, damn your enemy by name three times and make your petition in the name of the devil. So there are some uses that you can use for devil's dung, and I think you can see how some of them can relate back to our earlier discussion in the Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery about hell. And as you see there, we have a number of different kinds of spells. There's a classic bottle spell there. There's laying in foot tracks there. There's wearing as a bag there. All good, good stuff. And I encourage you to spend this week going out and learning a little bit more about devil's dung. And why don't you learn a little bit about how it's used in cooking, too? Our information for the In the Kitchen section comes to us each every week, not only from our own knowledge, but also from Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, a Materia Magica of African-American Conjure by Miss Catherine Ironwood. And we thank her for its use and inclusion in the show each and every week. Well, we had a rough start to the show tonight, didn't we, gang? But we got in. We got to talk about Devil's Dung. We got to talk about Hell. We got to listen to a few tunes and have a couple of laughs. Our own Count Goulash was here, as well as Miss Loretta Evans, who will be saying a few words after the last song. And we spoke a little bit about that Montebank, Mr. Huckabee, and his foolishness, his absolute foolish statement about the Dred Scott ruling this week. How the capons keep rolling along. I have to tell you, we are looking at interesting times these days, folks. But they're not new times. And that's message that I want to part with you tonight. The troubles we hear about and see around us seem so vast, so horrible, so overwhelming, almost a, a mountain that cannot be approached. But I want you to remember that we have fought these fights before and won. What we see now with gay marriage and the resistance to it, what we see now with people actively saying they will not obey the law, they will not be a part of the human community with us. They will not be a part of our great American society, so filled with joys and flaws, so ragged and so glittering. We have seen before. I want you to know that we have lived through the robber barons before, and we shall again. I want you to know that we won victories about interracial marriage, and we will again. We won victories about segregation, and we will again. We have faced all of these little monsters before. Do not be drained or disappointed or slump your shoulders that there are still more little monsters. Stand proud in the light 
Aid your brother. Aid your sister. Listen to your mother and listen to your father because they fought before you. And listen to your grandparents. And then array yourself ready in justice and in righteousness and go and fight that good fight. And I don't mean the fight of battle. I don't mean the fight of war. I mean to struggle, to wrestle, to attempt. Don't let these people and their voices sway you down into depression. Don't let these people's voices sway you down into giving up. Remember, when you don't vote, when you don't take a stand, when you don't call out, you're not being revolutionary. You're just giving up. And that could, in fact, be the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, It is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, But it is perhaps the end of the beginning.